Hello, and welcome to Paving the Way podcast. I'm Seth Amoa, a.k.a. Essay. I'm here with Kenny Jean-Louis, a.k.a. KJL. And today we're here with a special guest. Um, he's definitely helped pave the way of Quebec basketball. Uh, one of the best players, at least for me, to come out of, come out of Quebec and one of the best to come out of Canada. Um, and, he's, and he also played for one of the top teams probably ever in CJF level at Champlain uh, back in the day, Mr. Maurice Joseph. Merci, merci d'avoir accepté l'invitation. Euh, on t'a envoyé un message, puis directement t'as dit oui. Je pense que t'as paved the way, puis je pense qu'il y a beaucoup de personnes qui vont apprendre de cette interview, que ça soit coach ou euh, joueur. So merci encore d'avoir accepté l'interview. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you both for having me, man. Any any chance I get to talk basketball, but specifically Quebec basketball, is a, is, a, is definitely a privilege for me, man. So I'm excited to be here with you guys. Okay, so the first question that we ask everyone, when's the passion for basketball started for you? <laughs> um, you know what, man? I, I've been asked that question countless times in my, uh, in my, in my life, and I, I go back to the same answer. I, I, I don't know. You know, it's, it's all I, since, since I could walk, since I could remember. It's the, it's the, it's the first thing that I ever loved. Um, it started with my brother and I. We used to roll up balls of socks. And we used to play one-on-one -on, -one on the clothes, on the, the, the hamper, the clothes hamper. You know what I mean? So we roll up balls of socks. We play physical basketball one-on-one, -on -one, going around each other, traveling, all that kind of stuff. And then from there, uh, when I bought, got my first basketball, playing in the parks, playing outside, places like Kent Park and Bedford, you know, in Cote d'Inege. And, uh, you know, it just evolved from there. But to be honest with you, I don't know when or why it started. But ever since I can remember, I've been in love with the game. And that, that love has evolved ever since. And, Uh, I, I don't see it dwindling away anytime soon. So I've been, uh, I've been in love with the game since day one. Okay. Um, at, what, at what time did you – I know you played for Sun Youth. When yeah, did you yep. go join them, yeah? And why did you go there? Um, so it's, it's funny, funny, funny you asked that question because I was talking to somebody about that recently. I wanted to join Sun Youth to play – you know, it goes Bantam, Midget, Juvenile, right? And I wanted to go play uh, my second year Bantam, but I actually broke my wrist uh we, we went on a, a field trip to uh, you know the skating rink and i ended up breaking my wrist um at, on a field trip so i wasn't able to try out for the team so i missed my second year bantam and i was disappointed about that because I, i thought i had a chance to make the team and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff so that was when i was 13 years old um but then the following year 14 to so my first year in midget that's when i first played and i i got introduced to it by a coach of mine at at uh at TMR, I went, I went to Mount Royal High School and uh, my, my, my coach at the time, he had played for Sun Youth back in the day, so he knew all about it. I, had, I knew nothing about it at the time. And he told me, hey man, some of the best basketball players in the city come out of Sun Youth and play for Sun Youth. So if you want to be who you say you want to be, you got to go compete against the best. And so for me, it was like, all right, say less. I'm gonna, mm -hmm. I'm gonna go out there and try to find the best competition out there. Because for me, it was important to to prove to other people that I belong. That there, there was always that sense of, I want to prove to people that I belong. And uh, if somebody told me Sun Youth had the best players and I was, I was going to go to Sun Youth. So uh, it got delayed one year because I broke my wrist. But then my first year midget when I was 14 was my first year at Sun Youth. And, uh, and to, to this day, I'm grateful for the opportunity to play there because I, one, met some great friends. Some of the best relationships in my life came from there. But also I learned about community. I learned about service. I learned about competition. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was a, a blessing to be able to play for Sun Youth. And I'm, I, I take lessons that I learned playing from Sun Youth to this day in my, in my coaching career. So it's mm -hmm. a, a, great, a great, you know, segment of my life playing for Sun Youth. Mm -hmm. 
and, and also you play for Montreal at the same time? Like, were you playing? Yeah, so so back back then you could you could do both. You know, uh, I'm not I'm not sure how the rules are now and how it's set up now, but back then I did play for Montreal and did play for Sun Youth, and there was actually some times where there were some conflicts. I remember being at a tournament, uh, being at a tournament, and um, Sun Youth and Montreal were in it. And I, I played for Montreal. Can't remember where that was. It was somewhere in Quebec, but uh, but yeah, there were some conflicts. But again, I was I was trying to play as many games and, and get as much hooping in as I as I possibly could. So that allowed me to do that. Was the uh, transition going from just playing from the, for the school league and now playing for the city? How did you transition pretty well, or did, did it take time for you to adjust at that time? Um, you know what I, I I think it took a little bit of an adjustment just because of the you, you go from playing, you know, high school teams where the competition wasn't um, at the level of where where it was across the city. Mm-hmm. You know, the teams like Dawson. Parkex, Saint Michel, and all those different city teams had a collection of talent from different high schools and the best kids in, in every area. So the, the high school teams uh, weren't as competitive, weren't as athletic, weren't, weren't as talented overall. So going to play at Sun Youth was a little bit of an adjustment, especially since I hadn't grown yet. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't six four with long arms yet. I was, you know, still uh, probably around six one, six two, and, and a little chubby. So uh, the adjustment, the adjustment was tough because again, the city leagues were tough. The city leagues back then with guys from, uh, from Dawson and Park X and Brookwood, uh, mm-hmm. the guys across the boards were, were were really talented. You think about the Page brothers back then. You know, we were 14, 15 years old. And the Page brothers were six nine and six five, and here we are playing against these long, athletic, talented players. And uh, so it was definitely an adjustment, but uh, I, I did adjust pretty quickly. Uh, you know, my my competitive spirit. Okay. Uh, got me over the hump a little bit, but uh, uh, it, was, it was definitely a fun moment and a fun segment in my life in terms of basketball playing career. And also, were you killing right away? And at what age, like you thought, you know what, maybe I can uh, play at the next level, CJP and NCA. What what age? No, not definitely not right away. Like when I when I got to Sun Youth, I played with guys like Damian Buckley. Mm-hmm. Um, I played with guys like you know Sheree Thomas who went to Kentucky. So there were guys ahead of me that were superior players. You know, they're older, a little bit more, a little, a little stronger, a little bit more athletic, a little more, a little more experienced. Uh, so I had, I had to get acclimated into that. So I, I didn't get in there right away and start just, uh, just dominating or, 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 or playing, even playing well. You know, it, it took me, it took me getting my butt kicked a couple times actually in order for me to, to, to buckle down and really realize, uh, the level that I needed to be at. And then, uh, So after that first year in midget, getting my butt kicked all year by guys like Damian Buckley, uh, who was a year older, uh, we I joined the I made the travel team, mm-hmm. right? So I made the travel team. So this was my first opportunity to go play against competition in the United States, and then my first travel, my first uh, my first tournament. I think we went to Albany and we played against a bunch of different AAU teams in Albany, and that that really opened my eyes to competition because. We were playing against guys who were the same age as us, but they were twice as fast, twice as strong, a lot more skilled. Their IQ was higher. Um, they played more unified. It was it was a really eye-opening experience. And uh, we went there. We won a couple games, but there were a couple games where we got blown out. And when I got back from that trip, I that's when I decided about you know, the summer when I was about to turn 15, I, I decided that I'm, I'm not going to look and set my sights on 
Canada that I needed to set my sights on competing with American kids mm -hmm. and um, using that as my kind of my barometer for competition and what I need to strive for. Because uh, even though I was still gaining ground in Montreal and in Quebec yeah. and, and in Canada, uh, I, I really set my eyes on the best in North America uh, because that getting my butt kicked in, in Albany really opened my eyes to what basketball was really about. And uh, so that next year, uh, that summer, I put in a lot of work. That next year when, you know, Damien and those guys went on to juvenile and I was kind of the oldest, the, you know, the second year midget guy. Uh, that's when I kind of took, started taking steps forward. Uh, probably started getting a little noticed a little bit there in terms of, you know, Quebec basketball and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. I started getting recruited by CJEPs and, and, and all that. But uh, it, was, it was that summer playing against U.S. competition for the first time that opened my eyes and light a, fi light a fire under, under me. Mm -hmm. Um, I know a, a, a bunch of guys from Sun Youth went to Vanier, but you ended up going to Champlain. Is there, is there a reason why you made that decision to go to Champlain and not, I guess, follow the Sun Youth path to, to Vanier? Yeah, that was, that was the, the uh, popular path. You know, uh, you know, Damien and Dwayne Buckley both went to, to Vanier and they were like, there were Sun Youth guys. And, um, but, and, I, and I did consider Vanier, you know, Coach Herzog recruited me pretty heavily back then. Um, but for me at the time, I, I really wanted to set my, my, my sights on an opportunity to go realize my dreams of playing in the NCAA and, and getting recruited at a high level. You know, I, I think I was an anomaly for a, in a lot of ways at that age because I really knew a lot about college basketball in, in the NCAA. I had videotapes of Andre Miller and Keith Van Horn and Andre Barrett at Seton Hall. So I had VHS tapes of these guys that a lot of – kids in Montreal just didn't know, just didn't know about, they knew about NBA guys, but they didn't know college basketball. So, um, you know, when, when I was going through the process, uh, seeing how guys like Pierre-Marie Cespedes before me were getting recruited at Champlain, mm -hmm. McKenna, who was also a Sun Youth guy, um, a bunch of guys that I knew going to Champlain uh, and, and, and striving to kind of be in a program that's run like a, like a, like a United States program, like a, like a prep school in the U.S., uh, that to me was big because I knew I was going to get pushed and knew I was going to get have opportunities to play on big stages in the U.S. and tournaments like slam dunk to the beach and flying to the hoop playing with against guys like Dwight Howard and Brandon Rush and uh, J.R. Smith and guys like that. Uh, I, I knew I had an opportunity to kind of showcase myself against some of the best players, and that's why ultimately I chose Champlain. Also, I had I developed a tremendous relationship with John DeAngelis, mm -hmm. who to this day is a mentor to me. He and I speak you know, a couple of times a week to this day. And uh, so all those things combined led me to, 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 to choose Champlain uh, in the long run. And obviously it was, it was a great choice for me and uh, re really, really happy I made that decision. Yeah. I remember I used to watch, uh, there was a website of your clips when you were Champlain and how you used to, you were playing. I was a kid and I was like, oh man, who is this guy? Like, who is this guy? You know? Cause I was like, yeah, who, who's this, who's this skinny, this skinny dude, skinny <laughs> yeah. dude talking all that trash. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty dope still. Yeah. <laughs> and and your first year, how was your first year and practice? Yeah, on our team full of a bunch of you know D, for sure D one prospects. How did you, you mean put yourself? first year at Champlain? Yeah, yeah, first year at Champlain. Oh man, <laughs> uh, let me let me tell you something, man. You want you want to talk about humbling experiences? Like I was, I was after my last year in juvenile before Champlain, I was named the player of the year in the city. Um, I was named the player of the year in the high school league. 
Um, you know, I was getting some recognition at Cho Champlain. Was, you know, I was mm-hmm. on the news and the newspaper and all that kind of stuff. So, I'll, you know, that was the first in- instance of me learning that it's not good to read your own press clippings because you start to believe what people are saying. And that's a, that's a dangerous thing because when I got to Champlain and I had to guard Pierre-Marie Cespedes one-on-one for full court, um, and I don't know if you guys remember Pierre-Marie Cespedes or mm-hmm. remember watching him yeah. play. He was a guy that pushed me like you like you wouldn't believe. Uh, he was athletic. He was strong. He never got tired. He could shoot. He could handle it. Uh, and we had to play one-on-one full court, and I had to stay in front of him. And I had to stay in front of him until I got to stop. And it was hard to stop Pierre-Marie Cespedes one-on-one in a full-court setting. Uh, there, were many, there were many days where we, we played until I almost threw up. Uh, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was humbling. It was hard. And then when you do get past him or whoever's guarding you on, on the offensive ends here in a five on five setting, now you're trying to finish over guys like Negus McKenna, who has a 44 inch vertical or Olivier Lamoureux, who at the time was six nine two forty. So we had big bodies. We had, we had some high level players, all division one caliber players. So, uh, once again, humbling experience, uh, getting there and understanding how hard needed to buckle down and work and work and work in order to, uh, to compete. And I had a, you know, I had a good first year overall. I was, um, you know, first team all rookie in the siege league and all that kind of stuff, but it, it definitely came with some humbling experiences. It definitely came with some hard work, some tough lessons. Cause, uh, guys, like I said, guys like Olivier Negus, you know, uh, junior Nicola, Pierre-Marie, all those guys were older than me and a lot more physical, a lot more, uh, advanced at that time and uh, I, I needed those guys to push me in order to take the jump that I took from year one to year two then to year three. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were I guess at the point where you're getting recruited from all these schools in the states um, how did you how do you how do you keep the focus and maintain focus throughout all this I guess um, fame I would say you know that you were getting how do you how, how do you able to stay focused though? Well, luckily, because of the experiences that I had and the the players that were around me, the coaches that were around me, uh, I I developed a mentality that I I, I was constantly paranoid about people outworking me, Mm -hmm. especially especially in Quebec. Um, uh, I I wanted to be in the gym more than guys. I wanted to be I wanted again, I had this chip on my shoulder where I wanted people. I needed people to know that they weren't going to outwork me. And that was kind of something that drove me uh, when, when I was a kid. So. You know, there were days where we'd work out and get 500 shots in the morning, and then we'd come back at Sun Youth at night and get an extra 500 shots. We'd, the goal was to get, you know, 1,000 shots a day, five days in a week for three months straight, and we did that for three consecutive summers, like every single day outside mm-hmm. of the weekends. The weekends we typically either played or just hung out or whatever it was, but uh, we worked. You know, we worked. A couple of got myself and guys like Rodney Scarrett and couple of friends of mine, Brad Zryan, who were always in the gym, a couple of my, my Champlain teammates. Um, but so, so those guys kept me, kept me humble, um, playing against big time competition and always seeking out competition. I remember playing in the McGill summer league. So playing against older guys or, you know, some of the university uh, guys that were playing uh, in Quebec, they would play in the league. So making sure that I was ready to play against them again, because you know, there are people in the stands and all that kind of stuff. And again, you want to be able to prove yourself, to the to, to to the OG, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I surrounded myself with people who were willing to work and okay. uh, weren't weren't uh, weren't satisfied with mediocrity. And for that reason, I, I was able to continue to work and, and and grow and build and all that kind of stuff. But 
But again, my experiences getting my butt kicked really humbled me and allowed me to develop this mentality. Like, all right, that's enough. Well, you know what? I might not be physically where some guys are, or whatever it is, or the most athletic guy in the gym, but uh, there's not there's not a person in this city that's going to outwork me. And that's that was my mentality. Uh, that that was the only shot I got because mm-hmm. uh, you guys saw me score a lot of points probably, but mm-hmm. probably didn't see me get a ton of dunks and footbacks and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I wasn't the most athletic guy in the world or the strongest guy in the world. I was okay, but I wasn't uh, Negus or, or Pierre Marie. So I had, I had to work uh, and really define my skills and be polished and all those things. And I'm glad I had the circle that I had because they really pushed me to do that. Mm-hmm. What what was um, Champlain's biggest rivalry at that time? Man, well, uh, Vanny and Dawson, you know, be, being two English schools in the CGIP League, being the two schools that are kind of in the city, plus they had some really good players notoriously. Uh, so I, the, some of the, those games are some of the, the most fun games I've ever played in my life to this day. And I've played in front of like, 20,000, 25,000 people. I played in Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. uh, playing in Vanier's gym, in a packed gym, or playing at Dawson on a Friday night at 9 p.m. with the gym packed, and there's people standing on the baseline and people up, to, up top where they, they can't even get in, just try, trying to get in to, 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 to see the game. Those are some of the most fun games I've ever played and to this day, mm-hmm. and, I, and I, I'll never forget them. You know, our, the warm-up lines, there's so many athletes on the court the warm-up line, people showed up for the warm-up lines because we used to put on like a dunk contest in the warm-up lines and there were cameras and people filming and, uh, you know, 30 minutes before the game. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the, the, I guess those were our two biggest rivals at the time. Uh, but there were so many good teams. Momorossi had some really good players back then. Um, you know, there, across the board, there's some pretty good teams. The CGIP League was so strong back then. Uh, but but Vanny and Dawson, those games are always pretty special. And 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 also, who would you say was the artist guy to guard for you? Man, uh, so back then there's there's some really good players, man. Think about Dawson. My early years, you had the guys like uh, like Joel Cassius, and uh, I, I think Keter Hippolyte was on the team still. I think um, so. Those Dawson guys, and later. My second and third year, guys like Chris Warner and Jeff DeSato, mm-hmm. uh, really talented players. Vanier had the Buckley brothers. They had Adrian Sapp. They had Paget Berridge, Colson Sennett, uh, Jerry Sedaba. So just monsters. Like, you know, like the, the league was so good, filled with high-level CIS players, but also filled with, like, Division One, Division Two athletes uh, across the board. And it was just like the, the, the games were full-on wars, you know, wars and uh, – and, uh, They, they, they're really character defining because in those games, like the whole city would come out and your friends would come out, their friends would come out to be, you know, chirping in the stands. Sometimes there were fight, fights broke out in the stands uh, because, you know, people had pride in their school and pride in their, 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 their friends who were playing on, in the, on their respective teams. So, um, you know, there were so many, JF Bollier, uh, Sebastien Salwa, there were so many good players back then mm-hmm. uh, uh, across the board, man. But, I, uh, some of the players that I remember being really, really tough. You know, Chris Warner was definitely one of them. He and I, he and I were all Canadians together um, our last year in CJEP. Um, you know, Damon Buckley has always been a guy that I respect. He was, I believe, he was a, definitely an all-star. I'm not sure if he was ever an all-Canadian, but he was a guy that, that I always wanted to, uh, to kind of uh, to, to, to compete against. Because, again, he was, remember, when I was 14, he was yeah. kicking my butt every day in practice yeah. and sending you. So when I got to meet him at the, at the CGIP level, it was always a war and I was always ready to rock against him. So it was, uh, 
it's fun, just fun games, man. Fun competition. Quebec basketball was so talented. Uh, I, 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 I love the era that I came up in because it was so, so much talent, so much competition. And I'm grateful for that. Uh, you were saying how before, uh, in practice that Pierre used to, you know, he quickly humbled you. I could imagine being in a team full of D1 prospects. How, how were your practices like with these? <laughs> Man, well, Kenny can speak to this, you know, uh, playing, playing at Champlain. There's a sense of, sense of pride playing there because there's, there's people that came before you and, and paved the way for you and all that. But John D'Angelis' practices were – you, you quickly saw whether or not you were cut out because not only was the competition extremely, extremely tough and at a very high level, but we had drills that would, you know, make guys want to quit. We had drills where, you know, you're in a, in a defensive stance under the basket and then somebody is sprinting in from half court just to take a charge. There's no pads or anything like that. And you just got to jump in and basically get tackled onto the floor. There were drills where we stand on the baseline. He would launch the ball down the court and you have to run and dive and, and, and save the ball before it goes out of bounds. And I have friends to this day that still have scars on their hips from that drill, <laughs> burn, mark, burn marks from the floor. You know, so we do that. But one-on-one full court, uh, one-on-one full court uh, was, was always tough, especially, again, going against guys like Pierre-Marie. And we were always matched up together mm -hmm. uh, just, just so that we could push each other. Um, you know, the, the rebounding drills, the war drills. So the practices were extremely challenging. That's why I think when we got to the games and we finally got to play against somebody else, we were always so angry and so fired up to play against somebody else because we've been beating each other up for so long uh, that the games are so much easier than the practices. But, man, the practices were unforgiving. We, we talk about those practices to this day. And uh, uh, I, I laugh for JD now. And, and he, he always says, it got you better, didn't it? It got you better, didn't it? Well, I was like, yeah. <laughs> at, the, at the time, though, man. You know, the, 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 no, the nosebleeds and the black eyes and the concussions were, were, were tough, but uh, it, de it definitely made us better players, definitely, definitely made us tougher. Uh, there was a reason why we were the number one team in the, in the country. Mm -hmm. And at one point, we were the 16th ranked team in the United States, you know, and, and we, we were the first Canadian team to have ever done that. And that was because of how wow. tough and how hard we practiced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when the D1 scholarship started coming, your first year, second year, last year? Um, I got a, I got a scholarship offer after my first year at Champlain. My first offer was actually Siena College. Mm -hmm. That was my first Division One offer. Um, and then from there, I started getting some 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 notoriety at the kind of like low to mid major Division One level. And then I'll never forget this. I got a I got invited to ABCD camp the oh. following summer, and. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really know who Sonny Vaccaro was. I don't know if you guys know Sonny Vaccaro. Sonny Vaccaro was, you know, uh, obviously heavily involved with ABCD back when he was Adidas, kind of the founder of it. And uh, he was one of the godfathers of grassroots basketball. And he called my house, um, called my mother's phone. And, um, hey, he said, hey, Maurice, I've uh, been hearing a lot about you. I'd like to invite you to ABCD camp. I think you'd be great here and this and that. And I told him, hey, uh, I'm not sure if I can come, coach. I, I appreciate the, the invitation. I got to speak to my high school coach. Uh, not knowing what, a, what an honor it was, not knowing that Kobe Bryant and, like, all these other guys had been to ABCD. So I called JD and J I, asked, I told him, hey, some guy named Sonny Vaccaro called and invited me to ABCD camp. Do you think it's okay for me to go? He told me, hang up the phone and call him back right now and tell him that you'll be there yesterday. 
So I called <laughs> back and I was like, you know, hey, Sarah, you know, my high school coach said it's okay. I'd love to come. Thank you for the invitation. So I went and uh, had some, had some, played okay, playing against some of the best players in the country. I'm talking about guys like OJ Mayo, uh, hey. Bill Walker, uh, you know, Gerald Henderson, like guy, guys who, you know, had yeah. long NBA careers and, you know, did okay, played well there, well enough for coaches to come, uh, to come to my court and check me out and all that. And then I had to leave a day early before the camp ended because I was playing for Champlain and Champlain had traveled to Kentucky to play in a Kentucky hoop fest separately from okay. me. And I was going to travel to meet them. And when I went there, uh, I met them. We had a game that the day I flew in, we had a game and I noticed that some of the coaches, including Tom Izzo and some of the coaches, Dodd Mata, who was at Xavier at the time, um, Billy Donovan from Florida, um, Pete Gillen from Virginia. So some, 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 some big time coaches left ABCD camp in New Jersey and followed me to Kentucky. And I'll never forget them sitting around the, uh, sitting around the court in that first game in Kentucky. And we used to run the flex offense, um, you know, cross screen, down screen, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I remember I, in, in the first game, I hit my first seven shots, first seven shots in the game. And we won, we won our first game. And then after that, everything changed. You know what I mean? Wow. Uh, we, we, we had no more games for the rest of the day. I remember we went to the mall as a team because some guys wanted to shop and all that. And JD's phone was just phone call after phone call after phone call. So I had to, I couldn't even shop. I had to walk with him throughout the mall. He's just handing me his phone and getting introduced to more and more coaches. And from there, it kind of snowballed and the recruitment started really started to pick uh -huh. up. So uh, that, that, that was kind of the, the evolution of it. And, um, you know, it, it really evolved quickly. Um, and uh, I got to speak to a lot of coaches, a lot of different programs. It, it was overwhelming to start uh, to kind of sift through everything and to kind of organize what everybody's saying. I relied mm -hmm. heavily on JD to kind of help me out with all those things, but uh, mm -hmm. it, it, it was, it was quite, quite the process. And uh, now, now that I'm a coach on the other end and I'm doing the same thing to other kids, I always try to keep it in mind when I talk to kids, how it was for me in the recruiting process, because I know it could get daunting. Sometimes for a kid, it's your fifth, sixth, seventh, maybe your 15th call of the day. And every coach is telling you how great you are. And, Sometimes you can't even remember which coach is speaking to you or what, what team they're with. So, so it becomes a lot, but uh, it, it, def it definitely helped me now in my, in my own career, obviously. But it was, it was quite the process. Did, did you have a dream school? And what were you looking for from a D1 school? You know what? I, it's funny. I, I did have a dream school just because they were on TV so much. I, I loved Duke growing up. Mm -hmm. um, I, I read Coach K's book as as a as a as a teenager, uh, so that was kind of like the, the standard, right? That was the standard. And in Montreal, they didn't have ESPN and Fox and all that kind of stuff, and all these different channels showing a bunch of teams. They had, you know, they had a, a, maybe one channel showing college basketball games with CBS on Sundays or Saturdays, mm -hmm. and Duke was often the team that was on TV. So that was the team I got to see the most, mm -hmm. and um, that, that 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 became my dream school because I saw them so much and I loved guys like Jay Williams and Mike Dunleavy and Chris Duhon and guys like that back in the day, Carlos Boozer, Sean Dockery, guys like that. I just love watching Duke. And uh, that was my dream school, but they never recruited me. You know, I, I got recruited by a lot of schools in the ACC, Virginia, North Carolina State, uh, North Carolina a little bit, uh, but, ne but never got recruited by Duke. So, uh, mm -hmm. uh, so that was my dream school. But in terms of what I was looking for, I, I really was just looking for an opportunity 
to play for a winning program, an opportunity to play for uh, a, a great coach, an opportunity mm-hmm. to play for a team that felt like family, similar to what I felt at Champlain mm-hmm. and, and, all, and all those things. Uh, you know, a good, a good fit for me overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's essentially what I was looking for. But, uh, but yeah, that was, that was, it was quite, quite the process. And uh, um, the, the recruiting process is something that I'll never forget. What was the, what was the deciding factor to you choosing Michigan State? Uh, the deciding factor was really my relationship with Coach Izzo. And, um, you know, it, my, my last three schools came down to Ohio State, NC State, and Michigan State mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the process. And, uh, you know, Coach Izzo would get on, a, get on a plane and come watch me work out in Montreal at 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, wow. just me and JD in the gym, and then fly right back to Michigan. Um, so he, he spent a lot of time recruiting me personally and, um, and developing a relationship with me. And that was important to me because I had a great relationship with my coach and JD. So that, that was important to me. And to this day, even though I transferred from Michigan State, Coach Izzo and I are still close to this day. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we speak and we talk and he advises me in my coaching career. And I've, I've flown to Michigan to watch them practice, uh, you know, and I spend time talking to him on the phone and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he, he's, a, he's a mentor to me and a a friend to me now. And uh, so that just goes to show that even though I transferred, I made the right decision because I, I got a, I got a relationship for life that's mm-hmm. to this day is, is, is still, uh, is still beneficial to me. So really, really, really happy about my, my, my trajectory and my path. Okay. And I was your two years at Michigan States and I was playing for like, like you said, a Hall of Fame coach. It was challenging. I, I won't lie to you. It was challenging. You think you play hard, and you think you, again, another humbling experience, right? You think you play hard. You think you're talented. My last year at Champlain, I was uh, the national player of the year. And then you go to Michigan State, and then all of a sudden I'm playing against guys like Shannon Brown, who was the second best player in America mm-hmm. after a guy named LeBron James. So he was in pretty good company. And um, guys like Maurice Ager, who was also an uh, NBA first-round draft pick, uh, Drew Neitzel, Travis, like so many great, so many great players, and understanding that there's there's com- there's playing hard and then there's competing, and those are two different things. And competing on every single possession, every single second, every single cut, every screen, every pass, um, it's it's a, it's a it's a different animal, and you got to get adjusted to that. And that's across the board. Every freshman that goes to play on to play Division One basketball needs to go through that adjustment because the the, the speed of the game so much faster. The, the, the caliber of athlete is so much bigger, faster, and stronger. Um, so the first two years, my first year was challenging. Um, I didn't play a great deal. I played behind two first-round NBA draft picks, and like I mentioned, Shannon and Maurice Ager. But I kind of knew that. I knew mm-hmm. that I had to kind of wait my turn and all that kind of stuff and get better and get stronger. Um, so my, after that, my, after my freshman year, my sophomore year, when those guys went to the NBA, I'll never forget this. I, my, my entire freshman year – entire freshman year, I scored 16 points the entire year. My first game, my sophomore year, I scored 16 points. So I matched my total in my first game, my sophomore year, that I did for the wow. entire year, my freshman year. And it was, it was a rough summer. I put in a lot of work. I gained some weight, got tougher, got stronger. Um, but again, uh, it, it was a great two years. Met, met some of my best friends in my life. Had some unbelievable experiences. You know, beating Texas uh, when they had Kevin Durant in Madison Square Garden is still one of the most fun games I've ever played, played mm-hmm. in. Uh, beating Wisconsin when they were number one in the country, when they had guys like Alondo Tucker and Cam Taylor, just 
unbelievable players. We beat them in our gym and, you know, the fans stormed the court, a memory I'll never forget. Um, so it, it was a fun, it was a fun two years, uh, loved playing there. Uh, when it came down to it, the end of the two, those two years, I really wanted to get closer to Montreal, mm-hmm. closer to my family, closer to my friends, uh, for various reasons. But, uh, I want, I wanted to be closer. Plus I want to be at a spot where I could still win, still be a part of a winning program with a chance to do some pretty cool things. Uh, and, uh, ended up transferring. And I tell, and I tell people this story all the time. This, this is kind of a, uh, uh, insight to what Coach Izzo is about. I, after I told that uh, he and I talked about me transferring, whether or not it was a good idea, he thought I should come back. Uh, but the, my role was going to, I was going to have a pr- certain role. You know what I mean? I was going to be a spot up shooter. I was going to, you know, because we had some pretty good players coming in and we had some pretty good players on our team already. So I was going to have like a role, but I, you know, I, I kind of saw myself kind of growing outside of that box. So he and I had some dialogue about it. Then I decided I wanted to transfer. And then, you know, it became public. It was on ESPN and it was all, all that kind of stuff. And then my first, I told all my teammates, the first workout after I decided to transfer, I didn't show up to the team workout, right? Because I, I didn't just feel like I was part of the team anymore. I felt like it would have been weird if I was there, almost like if I gave up on them, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So I felt kind of, I felt some dissonance about that. But, uh, you know, two minutes after the workout started, I'm in my apartment kind of just hanging out and um, Coach Izzo calls me on my phone and he's like, Mojo, what are you doing? I said, like, well, Coach, I didn't feel like, you know, I didn't feel like I should be at the workout just because I'm transferring. I didn't feel right. I don't know if I should be there and all that kind of stuff. He's like, no, 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 no. He said, get your ass to the gym and jump in the workout because wherever you go, uh, that school is going to get a Spartan. They're not going to get a bum. So get your ass over here and work out. <laughs> so for the, for, for the rest of the semester, 6 a.m. workouts, individual workouts, I worked out with the team even though, I, I was transferring mm-hmm. wow. and that doesn't happen a lot. You know yeah. what I mean? A, a lot of times you tell a coach you're transferring and he's like, all right, clear out your locker, get the heck out of here and all that kind of stuff. But uh, he, he, he made me work out with the team the rest of the year, wow. you, you, you know, the rest of the spring. So um, he, he's, he's a hall of fame coach, but he's a hall of fame person. One of the toughest guys you'll ever meet, toughest guy to play for, extremely demanding, but uh, you'd be hard pressed to find another coach that guys will go to bat for as hard and as frequently as, as coaches. And to this day in my coaching career, I, uh, I, I, I really value him and appreciate him. Okay. Um, at Vermont, uh, I know you got, you got us, well, you guys did pretty well that year when you went to Vermont, uh, you guys got, a you had a chance to go into March Madness and then you had a chance to play against your brother. Um, yeah. Cause Joseph, how was that experience? That was, that was one of the most, uh, unbelievable experiences of, of my life. Just take basketball out of it. This is one of the most unbelievable experiences of my life. And, you know, that, that year we had a really good team. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, you know, so played two years at Michigan State. My, my first year playing after sitting out at, at Vermont, mm-hmm. we win a league championship. Uh, but then we get upset in the conference tournament. So then we, we don't make the NCAA tournament. Even though we're good enough, yeah. we were the number one seed. Uh, we got upset. By, by the eighth seed, and it was kind of just like a, a, a rough deal. Even though we won 24 games, we were a really good team, just kind of fell short. So my senior year, we are all driven to not let that happen again. We all, we all came into the season pretty ticked off, and uh, long story short, we ended up winning our conference tournament on a Saturday. The whole town is celebrating. It's unbelievable. It's like almost like a parade, right? It's, it's, uh, it, it's crazy. And the following day on Selection Sunday, we were doing some media, 
and reporters were asking uh, about the possibility of playing my brother. And I was like, well, no, nah, they told me that that couldn't happen because we were supposed to be a 15, maybe a 14 seed because we had such a good year. I think we had 25 wins at the time. And we beat, we beat some pretty good teams. Like we beat Rutgers at Rutgers. Uh, we had some, some pretty good wins uh, that year. And we had a lot of wins. So I didn't think it was going to happen. Plus, they said that they wouldn't pair us up again because in 2005, Vermont beat Syracuse in the NCAA tournament in the first round. Uh-huh. So, so they said it, they, they wouldn't let it happen again, you know. So in my mind, it wasn't going to happen. So then when they say the one seed Syracuse, uh, Syracuse Orangemen will play number 16 seed Vermont Catamounts, I lost my mind. You know, we were in a big restaurant. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was a joke almost. So I, I took out my phone. I called my brother. He had just taken out his phone to call me. His teammates are going crazy. My teammates are going crazy. And then from there, it was wow. just a media circus for that yeah. week. You know, media in Canada, in Montreal, you know, the Gazette, Montreal Gazette. There was uh, media in Syracuse and Burlington, even media in Trinidad and Tobago, where my, uh, wow. where my parents are from. You know, it was, it was just such a hectic week in terms of uh, doing media. So, and, you know, going to the tournament, you have a lot of that anyway. But specifically regarding that, the two brothers and all that kind of stuff, and you know, we we appeared on ESPN First Take. Yeah, uh, we're we're yeah. on we're on that together. Um, so it it was really it was really an unbelievable wow. week. So when the day the day of the game came, you know, we had to we had to deal with how many family members were coming, how many tickets we could get, because everybody wanted to come. Um, you know, we ended up I think having like maybe fifteen twenty people there, maybe or something like that. But we had over a hundred ticket requests from just friends and family. Everybody just wanted to come, but there's only so many tickets that we could get. And um, I remember just when the game started, I just remember like finally, let's let's, let's just hoop. <laughs> I mean, let's 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 just let's just play because it was such a such a frenzy that entire week. And obviously, the rest is history. Their team was extremely talented, and they they kicked our butt pretty good. I still haven't watched the game to this day because uh-huh. uh, the the competitor in me just I, I can't. I can't stomach the watching my last game. I, I, I don't know. I just someday I'll sit down and I'll watch it. And I, I still have the DVD of it, but uh, haven't watched it yet. But uh, you know, me getting called out to half court, and my brother getting called to half out to half court for the starting lineups, and hugging at half court for the intro to the starting for the starting five. That was a moment that he and I could never imagine when we were balling up socks and playing in the hamper when we were kids, you know what I mean? It was yeah. just a surreal, a surreal moment that does, you have to be extremely lucky uh, for that to even happen. Like, you know, so many things have to go right yeah. for that, for you to get that kind of opportunity. And, you know, we got that and the basketball gods have been really great to us. And I'm extremely thankful. And uh, like I said, outside of basketball, that was probably the, the greatest experience of my life because uh, it, it was uh, certainly special, certainly a thing that we dreamed about from day one. Mm-hmm. How would you say that you help him and how did he help you like Chris? Well, you know, he and I speak, speak, spoke about this recently, you know, a lot of times I was just trying to do the right thing and not fully realizing that he saw me as a role model, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, I didn't think he was following my footsteps. I didn't pay attention to it as much because I was young. I didn't have a role model mindset. I was just doing right. I was just trying to work hard, trying to compete, making sure I was taking care of what I needed to do in, in a classroom so that I could get a scholarship, so I could get recruited, uh, so that I can prove to people that I belong in the conversations with some of the best players in the city. I was just doing those things. And um, 
you know, he was watching me. And I, at the time, I didn't know. Obviously, older now, we talk about it now. He, he let me know that he was watching, and I was I was a role model for him. And so, so, you know, I, I pushed him in that regard. I think I think when he was young, he started to dislike the comparisons. You know, when I started getting, I was so disciplined and so you know driven, mm-hmm. work ethic wise, that he started getting some comparisons to me, and I don't think he liked that very much growing up. Because my brother, he's he's a, he's a different cat than me. I don't know if you guys know him at all, but mm-hmm. he is one of the most naturally talented and gifted basketball players I've ever seen. Like he was dunking through his legs at 14 years old, and I was barely dunking at like 17, 18 years old. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he could dunk through his legs without warming up. Just long and athletic and gifted. Um, so the comparisons came, and I I don't know if he liked that very much because it was he probably got tired of hearing him. But then when he started to elevate his game. Um, it stopped. Be, it, it stopped being. You know, Chris Joseph is Maurice Joseph's brother. It, it flipped. I became Chris Joseph's brother. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that that to me was a, a, a full 180. But it, it filled me with pride because that's when I started to realize, like, damn, like maybe he was watching. Maybe I did help him out along the line, even though I wasn't intentionally saying, "Hey, come here, come do this." I wasn't like walking him through it, but uh, he, he he did kind of follow in my footsteps and. And, um, you know, he became a hell of a player. Like, I, I don't know how much time, how much you guys got to see him in Syracuse, but my God, mm-hmm. you know, he was, you know, Big East Sixth Man of the Year, All Big East, first Canadian ever to be named All Big East First Team. So he, he had like a his, historic, mm-hmm. like historic accolades at Syracuse and in the Big East. And for, for him to, to grow into, and then obviously he got drafted in the second round by the Celtics. So for him to have the career that he had, uh, I, I, I'm to this day, I'm extremely proud of him coming from where we come from. Um, again, and, and it all started from throwing socks in the hamper. And yeah. then, you know, we even played basketball on garbage cans. Like before they put hoops up in Bedford Park, we played on a garbage, a garbage can. You know what I mean? Like that's, that was our basket. It was, it was four feet off, four feet tall. And we'd play two on two, three on three, one on one on a garbage can. And from doing that to, playing at Michigan State and at Syracuse and getting drafted and playing at the Garden and doing all these things. It was, uh, like I said, the game has been unbelievable to us. And I, I, that's, that's the reason why I coach today. I, that's the reason why I coach today. I think for me to not pay it forward to other people, to other young men would be a crime mm-hmm. because, you know, look, the life that I have, the life, the experiences that I've had, all because of the game. And I'm uh, forever indebted, forever grateful and uh, we both are. We both are because we, uh, we've, we've been very, very, very fortunate. Um, Who was yeah. winning those one-on-one? Yeah, that's that's what I'm asking right now. <laughs> oh, he, he couldn't he couldn't see me one-on-one. <laughs> and you could tell him I said that. You could show him this. He could <laughs> he could he couldn't see me one-on-one. Uh-huh. It's, it's unfortunate that we didn't get to play one-on-one, like when we were in college, like in our primes. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because. Once he got to Syracuse and I got to, to Michigan State and Vermont and I was in college and I went overseas, you know, then I started coaching and he was off in the NBA. We, we barely start, we barely got to see each other. Like yeah. Christmas time, we, we, didn't, we didn't get to see each other. He was always off or I was, you know, so we probably see each other maybe once a year, maybe for like wow. a seven, eight year stretch. So we missed the window of playing one-on-one prime, in our primes. Yeah. When we were young, I used to kick his butt. In our in our primes, uh, we 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 never got a game. There was one time we were in town together in the summertime, and we went to go play uh, pickup ball. I think at some rec center somewhere. That was the first time we had played together as adults. You know what I mean? 
And it was one of the most funny pickup experiences ever. We were throwing lobs to each other, you know, shooting 25 footers, picking and rolling two man games. The other three guys on our team didn't even see the ball. You know what I mean? We were, every shot, every assist is basically a two man game every time down the court. And we're just laughing, having fun, throwing lobs. It was unbelievable that. But uh, I do wish we had more opportunities to play with each other, play against each other. Uh, we just didn't, you know, our schedules and we were always in different parts of the country, different parts of the world. Um, and uh, we, we, didn't, we didn't get that luxury. But again, the, the, the game was, was great to us. But uh, in, our, in our prime, he, he probably could have got me maybe one out of every three, four games, maybe. Uh, but younger, remember, I was the big brother, so I, I had that big brother intimidation. So I, I got the games when we were younger. Um, you talk about <laughs> you played overseas after Vermont. Uh, how was yeah. that experience? It was great. You know, I, I, I knew I wanted to coach uh, by the time I was a junior in college. I did want to make, uh, you know, check becoming a professional basketball player off my bucket okay. list. So I wasn't ready to get right into coaching. I did want to go play overseas, see another mm -hmm. part of the world, live somewhere, make a little bit of money playing and all that kind of stuff. So I was able to do that in Israel. Mm -hmm. um, loved it. You know, I, I lived in uh, Afula, Israel, which is about an hour and 15 away from from Tel Aviv, which is an unbelievable city, uh, right off the water, right off the right off the sea. So, did that a great experience. Played some, played against some high caliber competition, mm -hmm. uh, but knew that one year was probably going to be it for me, just because okay. the professional get into coaching. There's a it's a process. You got to build up. Yeah. You got to pay your dues. And I was I, w I wanted to do that while I was young, okay. pay my dues and do the grunt work rather than play for six, seven, eight years, then try to start coaching and be and start from that start start from scratch at 35 36 37 years old whatever mm -hmm. it was uh so i i hung him up early uh because i want to pursue my dream of coaching uh but mm -hmm. uh i i miss the game every day even yeah I, I, every single game you know during the national anthem of every game i i, I stand there and every single game i thank god for the opportunity to, to 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 do what i'm doing thank god for for putting basketball in my life and, uh, you know, I say, I say my little prayer, the same prayer before every game, and I look at our players and I'm like, man, you guys have no idea how lucky you are. I miss, I miss playing every single day, every single yeah. day. Part of it in my mind is I still, still think I'm 18, 19 years old. My body doesn't feel that way, but my <laughs> mind still thinks that way. Yeah. But uh, uh, I, I love it, man. I love it. I'm a junkie, and uh, I don't think that's ever going to change. And, and you say you were thinking about coaching in your junior year. Like, why? Yeah. Like, it's, not, it's not every player you want to be, I guess, a coach after. So why you wanted to be a coach? Well, two, two things happened uh, that helped me want to coach. Um, I, my freshman year in, at Michigan State, because I wasn't playing a, a lot on the court, I was put on the scout team right, to go through plays and play against the first team. So I was basically the, uh, the best player on the scout team with, with, some, with some of our walk-on and, and so on and so forth. And uh, Coach Boylan, Jim Boylan, Jim Boylan was our assistant coach back then at Michigan State. He's currently the head coach for the Chicago Bulls. And unbelievable coach. He coached uh, Akeem Olajuwon and, and Clyde Drexler uh, in Houston. Wow. Uh, he, won, he won two NBA championships with them. So really accomplished coach. He was the head of the scout team and because I was on the scout team, I'd be paired up with him a bunch. So I had to learn other teams' offenses every game, right, to get our, get our first team prepared. And going through that process helped me see all the different plays and sets and schemes 
all the different things that, that coaches are trying to accomplish in order to win games. And I became fascinated with how many different ways there were to be successful and all the different schemes. And cause I got, to, I got to learn them every single day and then run those against the first team as a scout team member. So early on in my college career, I got to learn a lot about X's and O's and learn a lot about offenses and defensive schemes and what teams are trying to accomplish. So I got to think like a coach as a freshman because I was kind of like the, the leader of that, uh, that scout team, the best player on that scout team, the only scholarship player on that scout team. So that was a gift that occurs for me at the time. Obviously you want to be on the first team. You don't want to be on the scout team because you want to be with the best players and all that. But looking back, that was one of the biggest, the best things that ever happened to me because I learned about X's and O's and spacing. And to this day, I could still walk you through the Princeton offense, like the back of my hand. Uh, not because I played against it a bunch as a coach, but because I learned it as a freshman. You know, when North and Bill Carmody was at West, Northwestern, that's what he ran. And I, I learned it. I learned it back mm-hmm. then. So um, that and then my, my sit-out year when I transferred to uh, Vermont, I ended up having shoulder surgery on my left shoulder and I had to sit out. So I, I literally I couldn't work out, couldn't play, couldn't practice. So I had to take a, sit, a step back for the first time in my life and just watch just watch the team play and watch teams and watch coaches and watch practice and watch and watch and watch. And during that year, my junior year in college, I really saw the game from a, almost a, a, from a different perspective, right? How five guys are moving in unison, how much spacing is important, different schemes, the angles of screens, how important that is, the, 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 the importance of playing with pace, how to manage going on, going on five, nothing, six, nothing, seven, nothing runs yourself versus how to manage getting scored on eight straight times and there and you're on a road and things aren't going well and the, the psychology behind behind handling all those different types of issues that pop up in coaching that fascinated me uh, because there's so many different ways to be successful and uh, there's such a great psychology behind coaching and that's you know what I studied in school and all that so it all it all came together uh, for me uh, with that freshman experience and then sitting out and watching the game and that's when I knew I wanted to coach and um, it's uh you know I haven't looked back since. Mm-hmm. I know you got the opp- I, I know you got the opportunity of being assistant coach at George Washington, and after becoming a head coach. Um, so tell us how, how does that feel going from, I guess, player to assistant coach now head coach in a span of like not too many years, right? So what was that transition was like for you? Yeah, so I was I was a full time assistant coach. You know, I think two years after retiring from playing mm-hmm. and. Uh, there's, there's a lot of benefits to it because in a lot of ways you can relate to players and understand what they're going through from a player's perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the angle I'm taking from, you know, uh, my, my coaching angle. Some guys never played and, you know, were coaches their whole lives or managers. Then they became coaches. I, I was a former player. And um, so a lot, a lot of ways it helped me uh, be very relatable to the players because I was young, former player myself in terms of working out and player development, I was able to get on the court. So instead of just instructing, I was able to demonstrate and get in there with them and sweat okay. with them. And, you know, I'm a high energy guy and all that kind of stuff. So I think it was, uh, that benefited me early on. Uh, but I had a lot of blind spots. I had a lot of blind spots in coaching that I had to learn uh, just because I was naive and young and aggressive and hungry and I wanted to build and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the coaching is a profession that you, you have to work at the craft tirelessly. You got you to strive to be better. You have to be a lifelong learner. You got to learn about leadership. You got to learn about X's and O's. You got to learn about skill development. You got to learn about uh, practice planning, game planning, scouting, 
Uh, you got to learn about evaluating players, how to, you know, recruiting and uh, all the relationships you have to build. So there's so many different things that you got to, that goes into it mm-hmm. uh, that, that I had to learn. I just had a blind spot about it. I just thought I could come in, get guys better. Whoever we have, it doesn't matter. We're just going to get better. We're going to win games. We're going to compete. It just doesn't work like that. There's so many different things that goes into it. And, you know, I just had to, I just had to learn that. Then obviously becoming a head coach um, seemingly overnight, uh, you know, as I was an assistant coach, I was, you know, building up my binder and my philosophy and all the things, how I'd want to play, how I'd handle academics, what kind of kids I would recruit, what kind of staff I'd hire and all that kind of stuff. And then um, when I became a head coach, I opened up the binder that I've been building up articles and plays and philosophies for five years. And I said, well, this is what I said I would do. So let's do it. You know what I mean? The things, all the things that I believe in, uh, in my first year, we're, we were able to win 20 games, which is uh, great for a rookie coach, for a first-time head coach. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, and then two years later, the reality of the business set in, and I was let go in March. But that's, that's kind of part of it. You know, one, a, a famous coach said, uh, you know, coaches are hired to get fired, unfortunately. Yeah. It happens in college. It happens in the NBA. It's kind of just part of the deal. Yeah. As much as it sucks. Uh, it's a it's a great profession. It's just it's just a it's just a shaky business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know you know what I mean. So, uh, but all that being said, the transition from player to assistant to head coach now back to an assistant, mm-hmm. it's all part of the journey, all part of the all part of the uh, the uh, the process. And you know, life and basketball and success is not going to be linear. It's never going to go like this. It's going to look like a bowl of spaghetti. It's going to be all intertwined. There's going to be ups and downs. And uh, what kind of carries you through it is the passion that you have for the game right if you're yeah. passionate enough about something you're going to be willing to stick it out during the during the bad times because the good times is easy yeah. you're winning games you're making you know a good living and all that kind of stuff and it's easy but you get fired and all of a sudden it's really public and the whole country knows and all that kind of stuff how are you going to handle that well the 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 the, the faith i have in myself the faith you know the, the faith i have in general the love i have for the game the passion i have for coaching and for impacting young people's lives that kind of carried carried me through mm-hmm. some of the hard hard days of knowing that of feeling like I failed. But in essence, you got to determine what success is for you. Success for me is impacting guys, impacting people's lives at an incredibly high level, so that years after they leave you, lessons that you taught them through the game serve them in their lives as fathers, as employees, hopefully employers, uh, as husbands, and all those things. And that's how I define success. So getting fired for me after I took a step back, I was like, look, I'm doing it my way and I'm doing it the right way. You know, and oftentimes your, 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 you know, your, your biggest failure can be your biggest direction. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And, and uh, I I was directed now, I'm directed now in a path uh, to finding mastery that I, uh, I'm so fortunate to be on because I'm doing what I love and uh, I, I couldn't be happier. Couldn't be more fortunate. Mm-hmm. And as an assistant coach or head coach, like when you go to a gym to recruit a kid, like what are you looking for? Well, the, the first the first thing that stands out is is obviously the talent part. You know, mm-hmm. that that has to be the first thing. If 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 you if you're not talented enough, you're probably not even going to get to steps two, three, four, five. Right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of just uh, you. So you got to you're looking for tools, size, length, ability uh, to make shots, to handle the ball all the different things, whatever position you might be recruiting, those are, you're looking for skills, talent, tools, and all those things. But once that's, once you get past that, uh, you got to be, for, for me, I, I, I look at intangibles a lot. I look at character. 
Uh, I believe character breeds sustainable success. Um, so I'm looking at if a kid having a bad game, how does he go to the bench? Does he walk past his entire team and go get water? Or does he dap up his coach and then go sit down on the bench and cheer his teammates on? If he's not playing hard enough and his coach gets on him, does he roll his eyes uh, and talk back? Or does he say, you're right, coach, I got you, and buckle down and go harder, right? If he gets scored on by, by a, uh, another player, um, how does he react to that? If he misses three shots in a row, how does he react to that? So basically character, who is he when things aren't going his way? Because inevitably, he's going to become a freshman. He might be the best player on this team, but he's going to come into my school as a freshman, and I have a, a sophomore, junior, and a senior at his position, and this kid's probably not going to play and be as successful as he wants to be right away. I got to have a, an idea in my head of how he's going to be able to handle, handle that and manage that. Some kids struggle with that. That's it's a hard mm-hmm. thing to deal with, mm-hmm. um, especially when everybody's telling you how good you are and nobody, tell, nobody holds you accountable and all those things. So um, I, look, I look at intangibles after the talent piece. I look at intangibles, uh, character. Uh, then another important piece is the academics. You know, so, so often – we get to see a kid, man, he's really, really talented. And then you watch him play, man, he has the intangibles. And then you call his coach, you get his grades. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Well, he won't even get into school. He won't qualify. He, he, won't, make, he won't meet our admission standards. So it has to be a combination of all those things um, to, be able to, to be able to, you know, ultimately get offered a scholarship and, and accept it and come play Division One basketball because mm-hmm. there are thousands and thousands of kids in the U.S., and I tell Canadian kids all this time, there are so many good players down here. What separates you from all the players down here? Why is a coach going to take a chance on you when there's probably three or four of you in, in his backyard? You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. really make, make sure you're taking care of all those things and understand what coaches need uh, are, and are looking for in the recruiting process because it's not just how, how well you can score the basketball. Because a lot of guys have been scored the basketball. Can you guard, right? Can you, can you run a system? Can you go to class and be a responsible adult? Can you be a leader in the community? Can you, can you go to an alumni function and be a great representative of the program? All those different types of things. That's what coaches are looking for when they recruit because coaches, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of pressure to win, especially at this level, mm-hmm. right? So they want to know who's going to be able to help them win, but also who's going to serve their program in the best capacity, in the best light. So, uh, so for anybody who sees this, kids especially, yes, being able to score the basketball and your tool and your athleticism, all that stuff is important because that's going to get your foot in the door. Now your foot's in the door, they're evaluating a lot more. Like I've stopped recruiting kids because I was in a bathroom with them and they didn't know I was in there and kind of heard how they were kind of talking about certain things. And, you know, there's one instance where I stopped recruiting a kid because I follow kids on social media I saw some things that he was doing on social media and I just saw, you know what, it's, if he's doing that and posting it, then it's not going to work. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Maybe some other coach might not care about that and be like, oh, he's just a kid, social media and all that. But what the kid was saying and how he was acting just wasn't for me. And I knew that it wouldn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So that's that. And that kid still got a scholarship, right? That kid still got a scholarship, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't for me. You know what I mean? So, um, just, just have kids, kids need to understand that it's just, there's, there's a holistic approach to the evaluation process that take that coaches take. And it's not just you scoring points. It's not just you making shots. Uh, it's, there's a bigger picture and they got to understand that bigger picture uh, in order to make sure that they get opportunities. Okay. I know. Well said for real. Um, and I know during the time you're head coach, uh, you're 
I think one of four came born head coaches to coach NCAA Division One at the time, and that's a big honor. And I just want to say, like, that's a huge achievement on your part. Um, and now I know that you just got accepted to be assistant coach at George Mason. Yeah. Yeah. So congrats on that too. Thank um, you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So how how was I guess going from George Washington, going from George Washington to Fairleigh Dickinson to now George Mason, like especially how how do you deal with I guess switching going from team to team? How do you still stay stay focused and motivated, and like keeping that coaching career going? Well, I, I think you have to have an understanding of the business. You have to ha- you have to be kind of strategic and in kind of navigating your career, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was in D.C. for eight years before before getting let go and. Uh, I, I have a home here in DC. Uh, my wife is from this area, so decided to make kind of DC my home base. Uh, you know, in, in buying property here and all that kind of stuff. But um, you know, going to FDU, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of stay in the East Coast where I recruit because it, it's it's I wanted to stay close to the uh, to the area where I've spent the vast the all of my career. You know, in the Northeast, kind of the I ninety five region. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to stay there and that was an opportunity to do that and still be close enough to DC where I could recruit DC and see kids there and see my wife and all those types of things. And then, uh, you know, and then choosing to come back to George Mason, having the opportunity to come back was a no brainer for me because I could come back to DC, you know, George Mason is 30, 30 miles away from my house, uh, still recruit in the best area and the best high school league in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, again, my wife's family is from here. So it's, so it's, so it's a no brainer and this is home base. So, it's it's a mix between understanding the business, taking advantage of opportunities that arise because there's not there's not always opportunities that pop up. Navigating where, you know, you want to live and where your wife wants to live, and trying to navigate that with where your career is at and how you want to uh, pro- progress in your career. So there's a lot of there's a lot of variables involved. There's a lot of decision making involved. A lot of tough decisions uh, on on families. On you know I don't have kids yet, but uh, a lot of coaches have kids and taking kids out of school and moving them and all that kind of stuff. So uh, the coaching profession is not an easy profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you got to be willing to move. you got to understand the nature of the beast. Uh, there's a lot of pressure to win. Even sometimes when you do win, you do have some success and there's change in administration. They just might want their own people. So you might get let go because of that. So there's so many different things that, that are involved in the process. But I think at the end of the day, you got to understand, you got you to gotta have your why in the back of your mind constantly. Why am I coaching? Why am I doing this? Because if you lose sight of your why, you're gonna, the, the business is going to swallow you up. Yeah. And the reason why I coach is because basketball has given me opportunities in life that I probably just don't deserve. Like I've, I've gotten so many different things in my life from basketball. So for me, impacting people's lives through the game and making sure that they have life lessons that will serve them for the rest of their life, that's my why. I, wanna, I tell people, like, I don't coach simply to win games. I coach for wedding invitations. I coach for for postcards down the road i coach for baby pictures when they're late later in life I, I coach for uh for easter cards all those different types of things when guys are four or five six seven years down the line and they're getting married and now i'm at a point now where i'm getting wedding invitations to guys that i played that, that played for me uh players that i that i've coached are having kids and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh ba- um you know thir- second and third birthday party invites that's why i coach I, I, that's why I code the impact that I, that I could have on people uh, that I, that I code. That's why I do it. So for me, it's important for me to understand that because if I, if I lose sight of that, then it's, it's easy to get swallowed up in this business and fall out of it or, 
or not be successful. And, uh, you know, I, I constantly try to stay tunnel vision in that regard. Okay, well, well said. What's the situation with your team right now? Do you guys practice? Um, how do you guys manage? Like, yeah, honestly, I, I don't have a, I don't have an answer for you just because I don't know. Um, you know, this has been very one of the most trying times that I think all of us have experienced. Um, a lot of people have gotten sick. A lot of people have passed away. This is, it's 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 been really traumatic for a lot of people. I I know people coaches who lost parents who have lost loved ones. Um, I've lost people that I, that I know, people that I know have contracted the, the, the virus and survived and, and gotten over it. So it's, it's, been, it's been a wild deal. Um, so in terms of our team, I think they're putting steps in place to try to figure out how we can get guys back. I think they feel safe doing it within a certain set of parameters. They just don't know how that looks right now as cases are still growing and the 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 vaccine the vaccination is is not set in stone yet so uh i don't have an answer for you yet i, I think there's some people that are way above me that are working on that uh, i just hope that we can have a season and continue to progress but make sure that it's safe for everybody involved including myself but you know mm -hmm. uh, it's it's you know it's 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 a wild time and it's, it's certainly scary and it's uncertain so uh i, I just i just hope that we can figure it out Uh, sooner than later, and I hope that the social distancing that we've been doing for the last three months is is going to pay off in you know October, November, and December when hopefully we we do get a chance to play sports again uh, because this has been a scary time. So uh, I'm I'm just praying that things work out for the best. Mm -hmm. As a as as, a, as being a coach, what are you doing during these times when I guess you have no access to a ball court or are you still oh, learning and learning or? Uh, so I'm a lifelong learner. I'm, I'm reading. Um, I, I'm, I'm on Zoom calls like this mm -hmm. daily. Uh, I've, been, I've been on three other Zooms just today, um, you know, about X's and O's, about leadership, about mental health uh, training. I've done podcasts, um, constantly watching film, doing projects. We watch little, you know, we have film projects with our, with our team in terms of how can we do better. Uh, whether it be spacing or screening or posting up or running the floor, just little side projects that we can show our, show our guys and kind of hit them with little tidbits of, of film. We're doing those projects. I'm personally trying to become better as a coach and, and learning different schemes, talking to different coaches uh, mm -hmm. about how they handle their time as a head coach. Um, things that I, learning about things that I did that I would have, I will do differently the next time I have an opportunity. So I'm constantly trying to find ways to, to, to grow and learn Um, you know, I, I mentioned I read a lot and, you know, and, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm one of those guys that I, I can't be satisfied. I still have that sense of wanting to prove to people that I belong the same way that I had when I was 14, 15, 16, that, that, the, that that's in my fiber, that's in my DNA. And, uh, and um, I, I, don't, I don't think I can lose that. This is just who I am. So with that comes me wanting to get better, wanting to pick people's brains. I know that I don't have the, the, all the answers. I never want to have all the answers. Uh, I want to be a sponge constantly, you know, and, and learn new things and see new things and try new things. So uh, uh, that's how I'm spending my time, man, trying to get as, better, uh, as good as I can in my, in my craft. Seth, you want to play? Yeah, so right now uh, we'll play a little game at the end. Uh, it's, this one is called start, <laughs> start, Bench, and Cut. So I'm going to name three things. Oh, you man. Start one, you got to bench one, and cut one. All right. So the first one is being a part of that team at Champlain, being able to play during the time for JD. That's one of them. 
the second one is that moment with your brother, uh, NCAA March Madness, being able to play, you know, that whole week, playing, being able to play against him. The second one, and the third one is being able to be a coach. <laughs> wow! Yeah. Um, so start bench and cut. Yeah. See, this is one of my favorite games. I play this game. I, I, I do this game to people. I, I make people play. I don't, I don't often do it myself. So this is, uh, you guys are putting me on the spot. But I'd have to say um, start. Oh, my God. I'd have to say start my, uh, my, my experience with my brother. That was really special. Okay. I'd have to say bench, bench coaching. Oh. And then. And then Oh my God. Champlain. You're a good Champlain. <laughs> I, I, I love coaching. I mean, none of this happens without Champlain. So, yeah. so you know what? It, there's, no, there's no right answer. So cut Champlain, bench coaching, and experience with my brother. That was, that was, that was special. And that, that's etched in my memory forever. Okay, that's good. And my game is, can you name your starting five of the best player that you play with? All time. Best player that I played with? Yeah. Each position. Yeah. His position, okay. Starting five, yeah. Um, I'm gonna go with. Sorry, my headphone was just tied. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. I don't, I don't think I can hear you guys anymore. You guys can hear me, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, starting five position. I think I'm gonna go. Ooh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Drew Neitzel at the one. Big Ten All Conference player. He's my roommate. Extremely talented. I'm gonna go with Shannon Brown, number two, two. at the two. Freak athlete, um, unbelievable player. At the three, I'm gonna go with Maurice Ager, first round draft pick for the Dallas Mavericks. I think he was picked 20. Um, at Michigan State, so he, that, that's that's my big bro. I call him Uncle Mo. Um, four, Marcus Blakely at Vermont, multiple-time yeah. Defensive Player of the Year, multiple-time Player of the Year in the America East in my time at Vermont. And then five, Paul Davis. He was one of the best players, one of the best big guys in Mich Michigan State history. Uh, early first round, early second round draft pick by the Clippers. So Drew Neitzel, Shannon Brown, Maurice Eger, Marcus Blakeney, and Paul Davis. Okay, and and, and you have college. to pick, and and you, and you have to pick a coach. I gotta pick me. I'll coach. <laughs> okay, right. I'll coach him. <laughs> That's my answer. Oh man, Kenny, yeah, you good? Yeah, no. Okay, so listen, Maurice, for real, we appreciate your time on being here. Like I said before, you've definitely helped pave the way for Quebec basketball. Growing up playing for Park X, I used to hear your name a lot by Henry Wong and Nelson Ose. Just to talk about you in practice a lot when I split with Kemi and Kenny and also Kenny here. Uh, and like I said, you've, you've done so much for Quebec basketball. I don't know if you know that, but to this day, your name is mentioned around you know, for the kids of this generation. Just how, I guess, your work ethic and what, like you said, you weren't very, you weren't very athletic or very gifted in that, in that part, but you just worked very hard in your skills and your development that you became the player that you became. So definitely thank you for being here and sharing your story and how, you know, your journey went. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. No, well, th thank you guys, man, for, for kind of shedding the light on, on some, some, some old school guys like myself. I guess I'm an old school guy now, but, uh, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, co coming from Montreal and coming from Quebec, there, you know, 
obviously we we've had we've had some success with our basketball players, but I still think that we're overlooked in a lot of ways. Um, I, I'd urge that every player coming out of Quebec maintain that chip on your shoulder about proving proving to people that we belong. I, I'm trying to do that as a coach. Uh, I'm, I'm never going to lose that fiber, but uh, we we still have a lot of work to do. A lot of a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of things to accomplish in the game because we have so much talent. We have so much talent that a lot of people don't even know about. Mm-hmm. People know about some of it. You know, they're starting to wake up, and the guys like Lugans and and Kareem and you know that kind of stuff. We're we're doing okay, but uh, we have so much more to do and so much more to give to the game. And uh, I, I I'm just happy that I was able to be a small part of that from back in the day. And and uh, and you guys keep doing what you're doing in terms of shedding the light on it and putting the putting the spotlight on Quebec basketball because we do have a lot to offer. We do have a lot of talent. We do have a a lot of a lot of things to, to give to the game, especially in Canada. But let's uh, let's keep doing what we're doing, man. I appreciate you guys. Okay, merci, merci encore d'avoir accepté l'invitation. C'est sûr, il y a beaucoup de personnes qui vont regarder l'émission puis ils vont apprendre. Donc, merci encore. Right. No question, no All question. Right. And to our listeners listening, don't forget to subscribe. Once again, I'm Seth Amor, aka SA. I'm Kenny, aka KJL. And stay tuned for our next episode.